You know, sometimes I get up to preach and I think uh, it would be better if I just let the worship service be where it was and just keep my mouth shut. I'm going to fight that urge today. Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 4. As you're turning there, uh, I want to kind of take you back a little bit in Baptist life at least. For several decades, the shining light voice of evangelism among Southern Baptists was a man by the name of Roy Fish, Dr. Roy Fish to be precise. And uh, he was professor of evangelism at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth for many years, influenced a lot of young guys coming through there who became old preachers before it was all said and done. And uh, one of the things that I remember Dr. Fish saying was, as it related to church growth and the, um, and I'm going to use a term he did not use here, but I think was fully in his mind, uh, the gimmicks that churches have used historically to try to grow churches. And he said this, if you marry the spirit of the age, you're bound to be a widow in the next age. Now, the way that fits for us as we come to look at the passage that we're going to talk about today is that when it comes to a church and how that church does church, we have to be really careful that we don't just attach our wagon to whatever is the truck that's driving us through this day and age. Now, having said that, in a few moments, I'm going to go back and give you, you know, flesh it out a little bit more for us, but let me just drop it at this point with this one example. In Easter, the Easter season of 2010, there was a church in the area from which I came uh, in Corpus Christi, Texas, Bay Area Fellowship to be exact. I'll tell you that so that you can go online and you can look up some of the stuff that I'm about to tell you. But in Easter of 2010, Bay Area Fellowship decided that the way they were going to be sure to get a huge Easter crowd at their church in Corpus Christi was to do a huge giveaway. 1,500 people who came to church that day would receive a $300 worth of merchandise gift bag. Now, some of you do the math as I'm talking here and start adding some of this stuff up. Three, excuse me, 1,500 people who showed up that day would receive a $300 gift bag. On top of that, they were to give away five vehicles. One of them was a BMW, another one was an Audi. Through the course of all of that, they also promised that whoever showed up would be sure to take home some kind of merchandise. It was a huge giveaway, and on Easter Sunday, they were billed as saying, we're going to give away a million dollars at church on Easter Sunday. Now, what kind of crowd do you think that draws? As a matter of fact... And you can go YouTube this later. Please don't do it while you're in church. But you can go back and you can see that CNN interviewed the pastor of that church the day before Easter. And they had already had uh, a number, actually 500 professions of faith tied to the giveaway. Over two and a half million, some say close to four million dollars worth of stuff was given out by that church during that Easter season. Now, it's a good question for me to ask you, is that okay? Because we're going to take up an offering now because we're going to, no, we're not either. (laughs) 
See, that may sound like a great idea until you realize that the people of the church had to come up with that stuff and that kind of money. Maybe we should step back and ask ourselves, is that evidence of the spirit of the age? And if we hook our wagon to that, where will it take us ultimately? I'll turn it around and say it this way. As a church whose stated purpose, now I'm talking about us, okay? Our stated purpose in our constitution, among other things, says that our purpose is the salvation of the lost both at home and abroad. We call that evangelizing the lost. Another element of that, our vision statement, and it's on the bulletin there, and you can look at the front of it, and the back end of that vision statement says that we are about dispersing into the communities of Southeast Texas, sharing life. For church with those kind of statements that identify who we are, maybe an appropriate question for us today is how are we going to do that? Is it appropriate for us to do a million-dollar giveaway just so that we can get people here so that they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ? If we're about or supposed to be about the business of sharing life, how are we going to do that? Now, this is a good time for me to remind you about stuff I talked about last week. Remember, there's always three options when you come to a situation like that. One of them is you can do nothing. Churches in East Texas, in Texas, in the United States, churches all over the place have decided they will do nothing when it comes to evangelism. We saw more people baptized in this service today than many churches will see all year long in their church. So some churches just decide, yeah, the Bible says something about evangelism, but we're just not going to do that. We will do nothing. Other churches, Bay Area Fellowship may be one of those, They kind of say, we'll just do anything. Let's just do something because it's in the good name of Jesus Christ. He must bless it if we do it. But I'm always going to opt for, at least try to push us to opt for doing the right thing. So the question of how are we going to pull this off, maybe let's try to answer it with this question today. Who's driving? Now specifically... As we come to this in Luke chapter 4 verses 14 to 15, we'll get to the passage in a minute. But here's the truth. In case you have to leave. Now I show according to the clock at the back, it's 22 minutes till 12. I've got about an hour and a half here before we're done. Or not. But if you have to leave early, let me give you the whole sermon in one statement here. All right, Being fully available to the Holy Spirit opens whole new levels of effectiveness and service for us. When it comes to the question of who's driving us, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to do this thing called evangelism and telling our story into the community, the bottom line reality for us that we must build our foundation from is that when we submit to the Holy Spirit, he opens up whole new vistas for us in doing his work. And we can gimmick it all day long, but he will bless what he chooses us to do. So we need to figure out what that is. So let's start kind of with what I consider to be an honest evaluation of some of the stuff we have done as Baptists in the past under the umbrella we call outreach. 
This is kind of one of those messages. If you're here and you're you're not, uh, how would I? If I cut you and you bleed Baptist, whatever, uh, you're not going to like this next few statements, okay? But I want to remind you, I grew up in a Baptist church, okay? I was schooled in Baptist schools. I've looked at other things. I even started to walk away from Baptist life and all of church life at some point in my life. And I came back and the reason I'm a Baptist today is because I think theologically we're closer to biblical truth than anybody else that's out there. I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just telling you that's why I do what I do. But because I'm a Baptist, I can throw rocks at Baptists. And I'm fixing to. Because one of the things that we have done, and as a church, we have to be really careful that we don't slide into this mistake is that we have fallen into a mentality that says we pay people in Dallas or in Atlanta or someplace, we pay these denominational gurus to tell us how to do outreach. And so we've come up with one after another of these program gimmicks to do the stuff that God has laid out in Scripture that tells us how to get it done. And we have results to show for it. Baptists are declining as a denomination. So it's an honest look. That's what I want it to be at least. If that makes you mad, I'm sorry. We can talk about it if you want to. I've been this for a long time. I'm pretty sure that what I'm saying at least has some truth to it. So here's one for example. We, we have a deal we call, we like these, what are they called? Acronyms. Each letter means a different word. Acrostic, okay? Uh, I call them, never mind. Um, here's one for you. The word faith. Okay, now, I'm far enough into my convictions about this, I didn't even figure out what the faith thing stands for on each one of these when it came to the outreach program. But it came out of one of our denominational headquarters and they pushed it out and they said, now they didn't say it this way. But this is what they meant. Because we're not going to do it the biblical way, here's a program you can plug in. And it might have worked in some cases. Now, here's a good thing for you to remember. None of these things are all wrong in and of themselves. They might even be right at some level. God can use anything. We find in the Old Testament, God used a donkey to get his word out. Some of you are thinking, God uses a donkey in this pulpit every Sunday. So so it's not so much about looking at it and saying, is it okay? The question is, is it right? So we have these programs, and faith was one of them. I knew another one that was called GROW, and each of those, you know, G meant, I don't know, something. And you just go out, and as you're talking to people, you have the thing in your head, and you're trying to get through the thing rather than connecting with the person. GROW, and faith, and... CWT, continual witness training. Here's my deal. If those things were so great, then why do we have to have a flavor of the day new thing to come along to replace the old one? The answer is so many times we just default to a humanistic approach of doing God's work. I was a youth minister for a long time. One of the things that was popular... When I was a youth minister, think Model T's and, you know, Charles Lindbergh. And one of the things that was popular in church work to do the outreach thing, to get big numbers of kids, is what I came to call the 
let's break a bat for Jesus approach. So you get these animals from the health club. You know the guys I'm talking about? The muscle-bound guys, the meatheads. They come walking in on their knuckles. (laughs) And they're bending steel and breaking bats and that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying that's all bad. I'm just saying I I want us to think through some of this kind of stuff. (laughs) I went to a church as a youth minister where that group, well, there's actually several of them. uh, They had a fight inside one of those groups, and they split up to do two. Very churchy of them. Um, So I went to this church, and they had been there a couple of months before I got there as a youth minister, these Break a Bat for Jesus guys. And they got in there. Of course, you know, they go to the schools, and they pull them all up, and they get them all in. All these kids are just flooding the auditorium. They get in, they close the doors, and they go through their thing, and they get to the end of it, and it's time to take up an offering. And they say, somebody in here is supposed to give $500, and we're not leaving until one person gives $500. They took up an offering. There was no $500 check. He came back to the microphone. He said, somebody is supposed to give 500. We're going to take another offering because nobody gave 500 on the last one. Now, what kind of good does that kind of stuff do for the cause of Christ? Lots of different stuff is out there. And if we're not careful, lots of different stuff gets in here. Leads me, it pushes me to the question, who's driving when you get right down to it? Much of our effort in the name of outreach or evangelism really is more about us than it is about the kingdom of God. And so we've trained people to go and throw up Jesus on somebody and walk away feeling good about themselves because they delivered the message and the results are up to God. I believe that this message is a critical message for the leadership of this church. This afternoon... At 4 o'clock is our monthly all-committee meeting time. And I'm going to say to you, if you happen to be on one of those committees as a leader in this church, don't lead us into gimmicky stuff as a church. Who's driving when it comes to what we're talking about here? Here's a good truth for us about all the stuff the way we used to do it. Satan will gladly let us feel good about doing good stuff instead of the best stuff that God has designed for us. Did you catch that? The enemy is much more satisfied if we'll just settle for good rather than do what God said is best. So with that in mind, and that's a pretty steep claim that I'm laying out there, and I get that. So I want you to look now. Let's go to the passage of Scripture we're talking about in Luke chapter 4, in verse 14. Uh, some of you are already thinking, oh, wait a minute, I thought we were in the middle of the temptation thing. You only did one. Well, this is a standalone sermon because this morning Brother Parks preached in the first service, and so this is this one, okay? And next week we'll come back to look at some of the temptation stuff. But this is a critical message for us as we go into a new church year and as we plow forward to do what God has called us to do. Will we be gimmicky or will we do what God wants? Where's God here and who's driving? 
In chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, it is now a transition statement for Luke as he writes his gospel. And now we're going to be in a section called Jesus and his Galilee ministry. And it's going to go through roughly the end of chapter 9, more or less. And we're going to find these various things as Jesus goes through this section of his public ministry in the area of Galilee. And he begins with this statement. And it mirrors a statement that was made in verse 1 of chapter 4. Because that was another section in and of itself. Luke uses these transition statements and he underscores a fundamental truth about Jesus and how he went about doing what he did. And it all has to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it says here, And Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. In this passage, the key statement is this one that says, Jesus, in the power of the Spirit. And we ought to be getting used to that in Luke's gospel by now. We've already seen multiple times where Luke throws this out. He talks about Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit or being led by the Holy Spirit seven different times in the first ten chapters. He emphasizes the role of the Spirit in the life of Jesus. Now, it's not so much that we overlook that, Except we do overlook that. And we seem to want to chalk that up to the divinity of Jesus. And so he does these things like the miracles that Jim was singing about a few moments ago. And we look at that and say, well, of course he's God. And we just take that divine part of him and we pull it over here. And we raise it above the human part of him. And we act like he was not human. But he was. So how can a human know the stuff and do the stuff that Jesus did. Jesus was one of a kind. I'm not suggesting that we're supposed to be like him or anything like that. There's more heresy that comes out of this spirit of God kind of discussion than anything else in the church of our day. So we've got to be careful here. But we need to let Scripture speak for itself. And what Luke says to us is multiple times, Jesus in these transition statements is under the leadership and the power and embodying the power of God of the Holy Spirit. No wonder he's successful. We need to let that truth percolate a little bit in our hearts. Since the Holy Spirit is so central in the life of Jesus as Luke presents him for us, and when you put with that the marching orders that Jesus has given to his disciples along the same lines, you remember what Acts 1.8 says? I know I'm interrupting that sentence. I'll come back and finish it in a minute. You know what Acts 1.8 says? Jesus pulled his disciples together. And he's about to be ascended back into heaven, and here's what he says. But you, talking to his disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Time out. Stop. Full stop. Think about what I just read. This Jesus, who Luke presents for us. By the way, Luke is also the author of the book of Acts. This is no literary accident. Luke is driving home a fundamental point for us. This same Jesus who did all that he did because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, this same Jesus points at his disciples and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you 
and you'll learn some programs to do outreach. That's not what it says. Everybody with me? You know it doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything about programs, right? What does he say? And you, when the Holy Spirit, you will receive power and you will be what? Oh, that's horrible, y'all. You will be what? My witnesses. The key is the Holy Spirit in that. Satan loves for God's people to try to do God's work in the power of the flesh. And Baptists have perfected that. We hire people in Dallas to think for us about how to do that best. The same Jesus and the spirit at work in his ministry and his marching orders to his disciples underscores that truth and expectation of us as well. Maybe we should give that some more weight in our own lives and ministries. So here's a good truth for you. This is one of the things that I tie my shoes by every day. I slip my shoes on with every day. The New Testament plan of evangelism. Hear me carefully now because we come from an era of Baptist where the New Testament plan of evangelism for us is let's throw a revival meeting. Oh, let's have a bring a friend to church day. By the way, every Sunday is bring a friend to church day. Ah, but you see, that doesn't sell well. We'll do bring a friend to church day and we'll give away a million dollars worth of stuff. My friends will come for that. I remember my dad saying when I was a kid, we're going to, we should just give away a pony at church every Sunday. What? Now, my dad was being facetious. I am my dad's son about this kind of stuff. So we, we've perfected this humanistic approach to a divine task. The New Testament plan of evangelism is God's people, led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, taking their faith into the marketplace. And then letting God do what he's going to do. I didn't expect an amen out of that. Really? Because that is so foreign to the way we've been trained to think as Baptist people. We think that the way to do evangelism is get people to church and let the preacher tell them. That works real well, except it's not biblical. It's not the best plan. Because if you go read the book of Acts, you will find that these people went out into the marketplace because Jesus made a difference in their life. The Holy Spirit was at work in their life. They went out and they just were themselves. And people around them were going, you know, there's something different about you. How long has it been since somebody you work with walked up to you and said, you know, there's just something different about you. I'm not saying the times they say you're weird. That's a whole other discussion. I'm talking about the times that they come up and they draw, they are drawn to you because of the presence and the power of God in your life. That is the biblical norm. But we're so abnormal that we make the subnormal look normal. The best New Testament plan is God's people filled, empowered led by the Holy Spirit going out into the marketplace just living their lives and sharing life in the process. 
And so when we adopt these programmatic gimmicks, we write the Holy Spirit right out of it. And God may use that. Maybe you're here today and you're going, Preacher, I don't appreciate what you're saying because the only reason I'm even saved today is because God... See, that's the key, though. It's not because your friend invited you on to bring a friend to church today. It's because the Holy Spirit got a hold of you and said, You need Jesus. But when we reduce that to the confines of the church, we've violated what Scripture teaches. In the case you're skeptical this morning and you're hearing this and you're going, I don't see that here. Look at verse 14 again. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. Interesting word, that word report. It's the Greek word that we pull straight into English. It's the word fame. So we talk in our time about making Jesus famous. Newsflash, he's pretty famous. And beyond that, it's not your job to make him famous. He will make himself famous through your life when the Holy Spirit empowers you and you follow his lead. That's what he does. If he just get us out of the way, he'll do incredible stuff. And you can't hold on to that because he makes himself famous. You know what I like about this little statement in Luke? Go back now. We've been in Luke now for three months almost. We have yet to see Jesus do a miracle in the book of Luke. And yet already, Luke says, and he's famous. How could that be? And the answer is, in the power of the Spirit, Jesus lived his life out in the marketplace of the world. Here's a truth. Get this one. When God works in and through his people, the word gets out. Oh, man, if I could get us to get a handle on that truth. We can get billboards and we can put them up everywhere. I like what one little kid, he misinterpreted it, but he really got it better. He said, Daddy, look at that billboard up there. You know what you have to have to get a a billboard, a billboard with your church on it? You just have to have money. You don't have to have anything going on at your church. You just have to have the money. But you see, to get the word out about what God's doing, that's a, that's a divine thing. That's a God thing. When we follow his leadership and we surrender to him and do what he says and let him take care of the results, word gets out. <laughs> One of my favorite verses of scripture out of the New Testament is in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 6. You don't have time to turn there. You can go back and read it. Paul and his guys go to Thessalonica. Remember, we, there's a book called Thessalonians, okay? Um, he goes there, and the people there are upset because Paul is there. And here's a quote, more or less a quote. This is road travel version for the day. One of them says... To one of the leaders in town, these men, talking about Paul and his other guys, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here. And they're mad about it. (laughs) Wouldn't it be awesome 
in the truest sense of that word? If God was so busy at a church in Lumberton, Texas, that the word got out that God was busy. And you know what? I'd be, I mean, I want it to be us, not because I want us to be famous. I want him to be famous. I want us to be faithful. But if it was a church down the road that got that kind of reputation, I'd be okay with that. I, I want people to know in Lumberton, Texas, that God's alive and God's at work. God works in and through his people. Word gets out. That's the fame thing there. The report went out across all the countryside, Luke says. There's another part, second part of that verse, and I'm almost through now, so hang in there. Second part of that verse, it says, well, actually it's in verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. That is a divine term, glorified. It's only used about Jesus twice in the New Testament, here and in the book of Matthew. It hits at something for us. People are drawn to life. When the Holy Spirit's at work in a group of people, other people know that and they're drawn to that. You can't fake that. When it's the real deal, a God kind of work in the life of his people, you cannot fake what comes with that. This happens all the time in churches. I know of a church in another state. The church itself had the reputation of being the deadest church in the area, but the busiest church in the area. They did all the programs here, and I'll guarantee you, this, this report came a long time ago. I'll guarantee you this year they're going to do the same thing they've done for the last 20 years at Halloween time, which is they're going to do trunk with treat. That doesn't even make sense to me what that means. Okay? But it was their attempt to do a gimmick to say, let's capitalize. Let me just go ahead and give you an editorial comment. Halloween is the Perfect time for God's people. When other time during the year do the neighbors come to your house and say, give me something? Man, that ought, that ought to be prime time for Christians. I'm telling you. They're coming to your house. I, I got a treat for you. You're going to be glad you stopped here. I know. That's another story. Deacon's meeting at five probably. People are drawn to life. In this church I'm talking about, it was the deadest church but the busiest church except for one little area, one ministry in that church was blowing and going. They were baptizing teenagers left and right. I mean, they, that, that, it was just on fire for God. You know what happened? For a period of about three or four years, every adult in the church wanted to work with the teenagers. Now, first of all, if that's you, we're going to take your temperature first to see if you're okay, not sick. <laughs> it's hard work working with teenagers. Sorry, y'all. Love you and all that. Y'all are just a lot of work. But it's rewarding because the teenager says, tell me. Let's talk about it. Whereas adults hold you at arm's length. Nah, nah, I already made up my mind. Teenagers said, well, tell me about it. And in that church, it was the 
life point in the whole church. And before long, everybody wanted to work with the teenagers. So they brought their death to the youth department when they came. People are drawn to life. You cannot fake that. You can't gimmick that. Dallas is not going to send us that in a packet labeled Baptist General Convention of Texas. It doesn't happen that way. It's a Holy Spirit thing. Last truth for you. Well, two more actually. Here's the next to last one. When we allow the Holy Spirit to drive our lives and our ministry, divine results follow. That is straight up biblical truth. Jesus is the perfect example of that. Scripture is full of examples of that. And history is full of dead churches who refuse to embrace that. So let's close it off with this last uncomfortable truth for you. The whole deal that we're talking about about sharing life falls into my lap. But I'm not going to let you off the hook there. It's not a preacher thing. It falls into your lap too. And collectively into our laps as well. Bottom line is, every one of us, each of us, who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, is a storyteller. Don't tell it without the life that's in it. And that life is the Holy Spirit. What might happen in your life if you let the Holy Spirit drive for a while? Be careful. He might call you to preach or to the mission field or to being more responsible in your faith, in your family. I'll guarantee you this. If you let him drive, it is a dangerous proposition for you because he will take you places you'd never go alone. It's the only way to live, though. I can tell you that. Years ago, when D.L. Moody was doing his revivalism thing in America, this one group, and I've told you this story before, but it's a perfect way to stop this message. This one group wanted him to come into their town to do a crusade. And one of the guys was just, I mean, he was fired up to get, we got to get D.L. Moody to come. But there's another guy in there who is equally fired up to not have him come. He's probably a road trammel is my guess. And in the discussion that's going on, finally the guy who didn't want him said, well, you talk like D.L. Moody has all of the Holy Spirit. And the other guy very wisely said, no, the deal is the Holy Spirit has all of D.L. Moody. And that makes all the difference in the world. So who's driving your life? As a church, who's driving us? If you're a leader in this church, would you agree with me? It's better for us to do nothing than for us to just haul off and do something without the Holy Spirit being involved. Let's pray. Father, we hate these kind of messages because it reminds us of just how difficult we make this thing called the Christian life. You promised a helper, one just like yourself. 
the, the one who is called alongside the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in us when we profess you as our Savior and Lord and, and you give us every promise we need to walk with you. And somehow we just think we can perfect that. So we push you to the side too often. And we're sorry. We confess that. We recognize that it's just wrong. So we ask that you would help us as individuals first. All across this room this morning, I know that you're dealing with hearts. Some of us have acted like you don't even exist on a daily basis. Today we've been reminded, not just that you are, but that you demand a central place in our lives. Help us to let you drive. And as a church, Father, I believe that you have resourced us in incredible ways to make a difference for your kingdom's sake in this community. We need to see what you see. We need wisdom. We need your power. And we need to surrender. Help us to do that is our prayer in Jesus' name.